Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you again. I was just here last week, so this is fun to be here two weeks in a row. Uh, thank you for having me. It really is such a privilege for, for you to welcome me. Um, and I'm so grateful for this congregation. I'm grateful for what you're doing in this city. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm going to continue our little two-part series that I introduced last week on God's character, God's nature. So last week, we talked about God's holiness. We looked at Isaiah 6 together. And this morning, we're going to look at God's love. And uh, there's a great theology book on God's love, and the title is so appropriate. It's called Nothing Greater, Nothing Better. And that is so true. There's nothing greater and nothing better than the love of God. But almost immediately, we face a problem, and that is understanding God's love. There's probably no concept, no word that you hear more in songs and books all over the place than love. Love is everywhere in our culture. But because of that, we can get confused on what actually love is, how love operates, what love means. And it's easy for us to take our common understanding of love and just apply that to God. So we have this incredible thing to explore, but we also have to work through some some misunderstandings. And that was true of the community that the the letter of 1 John was written to. So this is a letter, 1 John, written by a pastor to a congregation. And he was writing to a congregation that had a group of people that had left, and they had stirred up a lot of trouble in this church. Uh, they, they taught a lot of untrue things. Primarily, they were denying the reality of who Jesus was. They denied that he was God in the flesh. Uh, they had this idea that God would never do such a thing as take on human flesh because uh, the material world is, is evil. There's no way God would do that. Uh, and they stirred up all of these ideas about what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus, what it means to actually know God and love God. There was a lot of confusion in this community. So John is writing this letter to them to tell them, here's what it actually means to be a Christian. Here's what you have to believe to have eternal life. This is what we actually have seen and heard from Jesus himself. God has revealed this truth, and this is for your good. So we could not be looking at anything more important. The questions John is asking are the questions we're all asking about life. And so as we read from this, I want you to have that question in mind. What does love really mean? What does love really mean? Keep that in mind as we read from 1 John chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we can open God's Word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for giving us this time together. Thank you for your word, which gives us wisdom, which makes us wise unto salvation. Thank you for this letter that you inspired that tells us about what love really is, what the truth really is. Help us to have ears to hear this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, may you be at work among us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is from 1 John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. So we're talking about love this morning. You know, it's a universal truth. We all want to be loved, and we all want to love other people. That's one of the, the simplest things that every neighbor you have will affirm. Who doesn't want to be loved? And who doesn't want to love other people? Uh, yet, the, the other astonishing thing is that if we would all be honest, we don't love other people. <laughs> we don't feel loved. We're all looking for love. We all want to love other people, but we don't. And that we all have to confront that. No matter where you're from this morning, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you have to ask that question. Why do I want to be loved but don't feel loved? And why do I want to love and I don't love? Well, this passage this morning is giving us the answer to that. We want to be loved because God is love. And you were made in God's image. You were made to know love. You were made to love others. That's in your very creation. But the second truth is that we've all rebelled against that God. We've all sought to be our own gods. We've all sought to do things our own way. And every morning when you get out of bed and you go to work and you talk to your family and you watch the news, you know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That this kind of love is absent from your life. It's absent from the world. So that might be a radical claim that we've all rebelled against God, but I think you feel it. I think you feel it in your bones. We all do. That things are not right. They're not the way they're supposed to be. So John is showing us this morning the solution to our plight, the solution to our problem of love. And he has a very simple message, that because God is love, we must love one another. That's as simple as it gets, but it's also as complex as it gets. And we'll look at that in a few ways this morning. We're going to look at God's love. We'll look at the essence of God's love. Then we'll look at the action of God's love, and finally, the goal of God's love. So look here first at the essence of God's love. So this is one of the most famous uh, phrases in the entire Bible. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you've never read the Bible, you've probably heard someone say, God is love. It's famous. It's well-known, and for good reason. But what does that actually mean? How can you actually say that God is love? Well, and this is not an original insight to me. Uh, many people have said this, but I've, I've, I've seen this in a new way as I've worked with students uh, that don't worship the God of the Bible, that don't believe in the God of the Bible. Uh, and, and what you see is that they'll often believe in a God um, that isn't love because it's not a trinity. Now, 
this is a, a big, important concept, but it's absolutely fundamental to the Bible that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different, yet they're one. This great mystery is true about God. But if you don't believe that, then you actually you can't say that God is love. Because God would need something outside of God to be love. God would need something else to love. But the reality of the God of the Bible is that God has been eternally loving from eternity past. Because God is love within himself. He has existed eternally with an intra-Trinitarian love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect, loving union with one another from the very beginning, from before the beginning. That that is the very essence of God. And if you don't believe that about God, you actually can't affirm that God is love because God would need something else to love. You know, maybe when you were a kid, or maybe you've had a kid ask you, what was God doing before God created the world? You know, I remember, you know, um, we always want to be gracious, but I remember being told, you know, well, well, God was lonely. God needed other uh, creatures, right? Um, but th- that's actually not what the Bible says. God was perfectly sufficient. God was perfectly existing in a union of love within God's self from eternity past because God is love in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And actually, everything you see, all of existence, this whole cosmos is here because of the love of God. Love is the foundation of everything that exists because of God's nature. Now, what do we mean by this word love? Um, You know, in Greek, there was a lot of different terms for love. Um, We kind of have just one word for love. They had had several different words. And, you know, a couple of the most common, uh, one was eros. Eros is where we get our word for erotic, right? This was a a romantic, sexual kind of love. That was one way of, of talking about love. Another common one was philia. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a friendship kind of love. You, know, you may hear it in Philadelphia, right? the city of brotherly love. This is a, a familiar uh, kind of friendly love. But that's not the word that John uses here. John uses one word for love, and it's actually a unique word. You don't see it really outside of the New Testament often. It's the word agape. You've probably heard that word before. Agape love is completely different than eros or philia. It is a kind of love that's utterly unique. And we're going to explore a little bit more of how that love is different. Um, But it's important for you to know there's a unique kind of love that John is talking about here. Um, I'm going to quote from a book a few times this morning. And this is a book that's probably had the greatest influence on my spiritual life outside of the Bible. Um, I highly recommend it to you. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Maybe you've read it before. Uh, It was written in the 70s. An incredible book. I I can't recommend it to you enough. It's all about who God is and how you can know God. Um, And he says things better than I can. So I'm going to quote a few different times from him. Um, But this this is what Packer says about the love of God. He says, the love of God is no fitful, fluctuating thing as human love is, nor is it a mere impotent longing for things that may never be. It is rather a spontaneous determination of God's whole being 
in an attitude of benevolence and benefaction, an attitude freely chosen and firmly fixed. So when we talk about the essence of God's love, it's not like our love. The person you love the most, you, that love can grow cold. The person that loves you the most, that, that love can grow cold. It, it can wax and wane depending on what's going on in the world. God's love isn't like that. It's not a fluctuating thing. It is something that is constant. It is firmly fixed. It's freely chosen, but it is firmly fixed. So this is not a normal kind of love, this agape love that John is talking about. But it's the ground of everything, the ground of all existence. But John also tells us that this love, it takes action. It's not just in the abstract. It actually is, is worked out. And we see that, you know, he says things here like God's love was made manifest among us. It was revealed among us. And remember what I said before, to these false teachers, that was radical. Right? That God's love would take this concrete form in, in a person who would be both God and human. That this would be the, the actual form God's love would take. It would actually be made manifest. That was a radical thing for them, and it offended them. And that's why they spread these false teachings. It was scandalous to them. And I actually think we can relate to that. Maybe you've heard someone say, or maybe you've said yourself, you know, it's, it's not about the doctrine. It's just about love. It's not about the doctrine or the beliefs. It's just about loving. Well, I, I resonate with that, but I think it's misguided, fundamentally. Because without the doctrine, the love has no substance. You know, we love to talk about the idea of love, the, the abstract concept of love but we need a story to tell us what love actually looks like. We need a person to show us what love actually looks like. And so if you don't have the doctrine of the incarnation, that God so loved the world that he took on flesh in his son, if you don't have that, love begins to lose any significance. This love that God has, it takes action. So God's love, it takes action. It's made manifest, right? Um, it's no abstract thing. Uh, this is another thing that Packer says in, in Knowing God. He says, God's love to sinners involves his identifying himself with their welfare, right? It, it's, God is saying, I love you, and this is how I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to identify myself with your plight. I'm going to enter into that kind of suffering. And we see that specifically when John starts to talk about this idea of propitiation. We see that here. Uh, This is in verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I'm willing to bet propitiation is probably not a word you use in daily conversation. (laughs) Um, It is an an odd word, but it's such an important word. Uh, Propitiation is is the idea of of wrath or justice being satisfied. It's this idea that it's not just taken away, but it's actually, it is measured out. The justice and wrath of God. 
this, was, this word in Greek comes from the same word as the altar, as the mercy seat of the place where the sacrifice would be placed in order that the, the judgment could be executed on that sacrifice. And that is absolutely fundamental to the gospel. That God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, was actually bearing our punishment, was bearing our curse, was satisfying divine justice. I remember hearing um, an illustration of this. Because oftentimes you can think, well, isn't this just cruel of God to put someone else to die in our place, to, to, to punish his son uh, for us. There's a cruelty to that. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding, and I think this illustration shows us that. This man was talking about an evangelist who went to go see speak. And the evangelist had a big table with pieces of glass on it. And he had a hammer, and he was smashing the glass as a picture of this is God's wrath against sin and injustice. And then all of a sudden, he took a metal sheet, and he, he slid it in, and he hit the sheet. and made a loud sound, and he said, that is Jesus, bearing our punishment for us. And I remember this man, he said, he got it wrong, though. He said what the man should have done was he should have put his own hand on the table and smashed his own hand. Because just as we talked about in the Holy Trinity, this is God giving himself. God substituting himself for us. That this one God in three persons, the Father is giving the Son, and is God giving himself for us. This is willfully chosen. So it's a love that takes action and sacrifice. That's what gives love its substance. You know, we, we like to think about love in the abstract, as I was saying before, But to really know what love means, we have to see love operating in the unimaginable. Have you ever seen someone love another person or love you when you know you didn't deserve it? That's how you know that they actually love you. That's how you know what love actually is and when you experience it is when you didn't deserve it. This is what makes the story, you know, Jesus' parable of the prodigal son so special so meaningful. that The son, the younger son, tells his father, basically, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance so I can go and live however I want. I wish you were dead. And the father gives it to him, and he goes, and he squanders his inheritance, and he lives in a reckless way, and he comes to his senses, and he says, what am I doing? I'm living with pigs. I I need to go back to my father, and I'll, I'll go back, and I'll work for him as a hired servant. And what happens? He comes back to his father, and what does the father do? It says when the son is a long way off, the father runs after him and embraces him. That's how he knows that he's loved, is when the father received him back, even when he didn't deserve it. That gives love its substance. God's love for us, it takes action. One more quote here. From Packer. He says, you know, if, if, if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, you can be confident and assured that he loves you in this way. 
And, and Romans 8 tells us that all things work together for those, work to, for, together for good for those whom God loves and are called according to his purpose. And so if that is true, this is what Packer says. He says, every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us and comes to us for the furthering of God's purpose for us. God is love to us at every moment and in every event of every day's life. Even when we can't see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them. And so we can rejoice always, even when, humanly speaking, things are going wrong. Have you ever thought of it that way? Everything you experience, if you belong to God, is an expression of God's love to you. Now, that's hard, just like he's saying when things are not going the way we want them to go. But I think about my own children and how many times my son wants to eat all the brownies that we have that someone gave us. And he is so mad at me when I say, you can have one brownie and that's it. And he is in tears and he's frustrated and he doesn't understand what's wrong with you. You don't love me. If you loved me, you'd give me all the brownies. But because I know what's good for him, what he experiences as suffering is an expression of love. Or at least I try my best for it to be an expression of love. But God's love has taken action for you. He has seen you and he has acted on your behalf. And that's meant to be a comfort for us this morning. That God's love takes action. And we see that in Jesus' sacrifice. So God's love, John is telling us, it takes concrete form. And we need that to really know what love is like. But finally, what's the goal of God's love? What is the end of God's love? Well, we see that in a lot of different ways here in this passage. You you see here in verse verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that, so you know, here comes the purpose, so that we might live through him. And here's another one here. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he continues, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That word, perfected, it's actually, it's not the most helpful translation because we use the word perfect as uh, something that is, you know, without blemish. But the, the word here, when it's saying being perfected, it means being completed, being brought to its intended goal and end. It's, it's being brought to the purpose for which it came. So God, he shows us his love in order that we might live through him and love one another. That God might abide in us and others might experience God's love through us. That God's love has a goal in our life, our transformation, our new life. And, you know, he's saying here that God's love is our model. Now, that's a high calling because God has loved us in spite of us. 
God has loved us even in moments when we were unlovable. But I think it's so interesting here how he says, you know, anyone who, this is verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you're not loving one another, it's evidence you don't love, you don't know the love of God. You don't know this God who has expressed his love for us. And then before that, he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Essentially what he's saying is that you should bear a family resemblance to God. And that family resemblance should look like love to your neighbor, love to one another. You know, my poor children will bear my resemblance, <laughs> whether they want to or not. Then our hope is that by, by bearing our resemblance, they will actually be carrying on something that is good in the world. But even me and their mother, we fail. But the family resemblance that we will portray by God as our father is showing something so much greater than ourselves. By bearing this family resemblance, we're telling people something about God, that in some mysterious way, we can actually experience God directly when we love one another in this way. We become the vehicle of others experiencing God's love. So God has called us to this. This is the goal of his love towards us. And, and, you know, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. In the season of this church, uh, when um, you're in transition, but you have such an incredible opportunity right here in the heart of the city. Right here, as you think about college students, as you think about uh, uh, folks from all across the diverse spectrum of people, the opportunity you have right here in Arlington, you should always be asking yourself, how can we bear a family resemblance to our father? And what might that look like for us? What might that look like for us on the campus, uh, in our workplaces, amongst our families, amongst our neighbors? What might it look like for us to bear that family resemblance of God's love. There's nothing greater and nothing better. This is my last quote here from Packer, but it, it, it's such a great question. He asks, could an observer learn from the quality and degree of love that I show to others anything at all about the greatness of God's love to me? So could an observer of your life and the quality of your relationships, observe anything about God's love to you. You know, it, it, working with the students I work with, I get, just yesterday, I was helping a student move. And, you know, he told me, you know, all my friends, when I moved here, they told me, reach out to this guy, because he'll help you move. He's so nice. He loves to do these things, right? And it's a great moment for me just to wallow in my pride and say, yes, I'm this great, wonderful person. Um, I'm like, no, I have a lot of time to do this. It's what I do for a living. <laughs> but, um, but it means a lot because they're recognizing something different. And when it's really special is someone who comes with me, who's a church member just like you, and welcomes them into their home. They recognize something's different. And it always provides us this opportunity. They'll ask us, why do you do it? 
you know, we've never experienced something like this. Why? And it gives us that opportunity to say, you know, God welcomed us when we needed a friend. And because God welcomed us in this way, we welcome others. And it begins a whole conversation. It begins a whole curiosity. What kind of God must they believe in if this is how they're willing to love us? And then when we make mistakes, we can own up to it. Because we could say, you know, I don't belong to God because I do all these nice things for people. But I can tell them what John says here. I love others because God first loved me. And that means I'll fail, I'll fail you too. <laughs> what you need is the one who will never fail you. And we get to call them to that kind of love. So I leave you with that question. If an observer looked at your life this week, what would they know of God's love? I invite you to consider that. As you look at your, your workplace and your home and your classmates and your friends, what could they observe about God's love? One of my favorite hymns, I'll close with this, um, is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. This was Isaac Watts wrote this, a very famous hymn. Um, and he has such a powerful line at the end that I, I think about all the time. And he says, were the, the whole realm of nature mine, if everything in the world belonged to me, he says, that would be a gift, a present far too small. For love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. God's, there's nothing greater. There's nothing better. There's no present you could receive that is better than the love of God. And the beautiful thing is he invites you to that love this morning. You can come and you can experience that love by putting your trust in him, by coming to him in faith and reliance, knowing God will love me even when I'm unlovable. I can love others because God first loved me. Nothing greater, nothing better. Let's pray. Almighty and holy God, we, we stand in awe before you this morning. You are the maker of all things. We exist this morning because of you. But you are love itself. Because you are Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing in eternal loving union. And out of your love, you made all things. And though we have rebelled against you, we can be invited back into a loving relationship with you by your grace. And you invite us to that this morning. Thank you, Lord, that even when we were unlovable, you loved us. Help us to show that love to our neighbors. As they observe our life, they, they would ask, what, what kind of love have they been shown? Empower us with that love this week and help us to behold and to savor and adore your love. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.